Welcome back to the PropTech Ramble. I'm Michael Grant. Hi everyone, I am Charlotte. Hey, yes, I'm Sam. <laughs> um, plug away. PropTech for us as Metricus is, again, it's not just new, it is legacy as well. Yeah, I think I've got to say it's about the people, so like making things easier for the people in the building and also people who run the building. And if it doesn't do that, then point. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of what PropTech does is try and make get those old buildings and turn it into something that's a bit new. That's what it's all about really, apart from me rambling on like I'm doing now. So uh, <laughs> that's why it's called PropTech. Right? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> Hello everybody, welcome to another PropTech Ramble. Uh, you have myself today, Michael Grant and Sam Hall, uh, co-host. Uh, we are talking today with David Eaves, the CTO of Ambiex. Uh, Ambiex, uh, for those who don't know, uh, was a spin-out uh, from Philips uh, in the Surrey Research Lab in 2008. Uh, David, thank you very much for joining us. And rather than me read off of here really badly about who you are and what you guys do, I'm going to hand back over to you so that you can you can tell everyone in a bit more detail. Yeah. Uh, well, hi, Michael. Uh, yeah, I'm pleased to be here. I'm uh, basically a software engineer by initial training. Uh, I specialised in artificial intelligence many, many years ago uh, and joined uh, Philips Research Laboratories in, in Surrey in the UK uh, and spent 18 happy years there doing all kinds of things uh, to do with sort of entertainment and interactive systems over the years. So in the early days, I was involved in, in sort of the early part of the gaming industry, also in areas around uh, internet services very, very early on with things that were going on in uh, Silicon Valley, um, moved into the area of mobile technologies, uh, which then in turn took me on to, to work on a lot of stuff to do with uh, wearable electronics and, uh, and, and sort of personal entertainment systems and, and, and things like that. Uh, and lots of interesting stuff, but nothing to do with lighting in, in those days uh, and eventually it led me into looking at uh, sort of augmented reality and virtual environments uh, and we came up with an idea uh, for creating uh, a, a language for describing real world experiences and creating multimedia experiences around games films music uh, and bringing that out into your your home uh, and other sort of places and, uh, and, and spaces, entertainment spaces. Um, and really that was the beginning of what became Ambiex. Uh, and so within the research lab, we, we developed that within, within Philips, but in 2008, we, we spanned that out as our own business. Uh, and in those early days, still very much focused on games and entertainment experiences. Uh, and at that time, that's pretty much where the, you know, the LED lighting industry uh, was. And it was a big part of what we did. Um, so while we were doing sort of quite a range of sort of multimedia, lighting became more and more a key, key element of that. So Ambiex really grew then into a lighting control business uh, based on software. So uh, and, and we've developed a extremely sophisticated sort of smart lighting control system uh, that increasingly we're using for 
managing smart building systems and, and really it's a sort of IoT platform because it's not just about lighting, it's also about interacting with sensors and other, other data uh, and very much about interoperability into the kind of IP and IT domain as well as just the, the control of the lighting experience itself. So big part of what Ambiex is about is about creating better lighting experiences, uh, really understanding the quality of that light, but also the quality of what's going on in the space and making that light appropriate to the space, to the people that are in it, very importantly, uh, helping to support them both in what they're doing and also their well-being. Uh, and then also communicating that information out to the people who are managing that space or working with that space or analyzing data from that space. Uh, and that's a, a huge part of what we do now is, is, is take that out into, into that domain. And did, did Philips spin it out so that you, could, that you wouldn't be slowed down by the big beast that is Philips? Or what, what was the reason to, to, to spin it out? Is to make sure you stay laser focused and not get dragged into other things? Yeah, uh, to some extent, we took an opportunity to to spin it out. Uh, Philips has been evolving over the last couple of decades into quite a different beast. Uh, when I was first there, it, it was very much a home entertainment company. Uh, it, it was also medical systems and lighting and, and semiconductors and all kinds of areas. A lot of that's broken up, and as uh, many people will know, uh, you know Philips Lighting uh, is, is now Signify. Uh, consumer electronics parts of Philips are now completely sort of franchised and separate uh, sort of organizations around the around the world and and actually when, within Philips it was very much about multimedia what we were doing and, and was much more focused towards consumer electronics products that market was changing very much uh, and, and in a way we were keen to, to take our chance at, a, at independence and go go a different a different way uh, and you know, and, and took our opportunity to be be sort of free of that. And, and you know, and Philips has continued to be an interesting customer and partner for us along the way, but but we have our own, you know, direction and uh, uh, and, and can take it where, where we want. So uh, it worked very well for us. Okay. So we've got some questions here, some, some that came in and some that we just wanted to ask you. Uh, prior to being on live, we were talking prior and like me, I'm a sparky by trade. I've never in lighting, but you uh, have come into lighting, but you've never been in lighting. So, where did where did your interest in in LED technology start? Yeah, I, I mean, back in those uh, early days in, in Philips. So, I mean, we kind of came up with the idea for Ambiex in about 2000. Uh, oh, and, well. in, and in those days, there was no such thing as LED lighting. So, uh, my first demonstrator systems that we built which were around uh, in fact it was a storybook story of little red riding hood and as you turn the pages of the book the space around you would change and uh, you know the environment that you that you found yourself sitting in reading the book would change and obviously a big part of that was lighting effects so as you went she went into the forest we all went green and dark and, and so on and then uh, yeah you go into granny's house it was quite different and so on so uh, I found myself painting light bulbs to try and actually create sort of lighting effects and, uh, you know, trying to create blues and greens using IKEA, you know, uh, you know lights. Um, so it was quite challenging. And we were at a Philips uh, event uh, at one point and, and we met some of the guys from the New York Research Lab and they were working on the 
using LED lighting as backlights for large TV displays. Uh, and they have these rather interesting little demonstrator lamps that they put together that created a sort of column of LED light. Uh, and we looked at them and they looked like rather sort of high-end home you know, lights, but with this wonderful color rendering ability. And we said, any chance we could have a few of those? Uh, and they were a bit puzzled as to why we'd want something like that, because they were thinking about TVs and so on. And we said, well, we think we could actually create a sort of multimedia experience with those. So they made us some. We uh, we did a, did a, a Philips research show uh, where we played Quake and the lights flashed along to the explosions going off on the walls and walking around the, the environment. And so we probably had some of the very first actual, you know, sort of home lighting uh, LED systems. And, uh, you know, that was very much where we were for the, for the early days of the LED industry. We were, we were, you know, they were very much using colored light for entertainment and, you know, sort of showing off in corporate lobbies and all those sorts of things. And that was very much where we, we started out uh, giving better control for those sorts of environments. But I've sort of lived my LED life in parallel <laughs> to, to my to the Ambiex life as we've developed the product and, you know, an LEDs become a sort of mainstay of, you know, corporate buildings and then domestic environments and so on. You know, we, we've kind of got alongside that and the, the Ambiex product has kind of evolved with, with that market. So. Was the product that was integrated with the TVs called something like Ambilight, or was my memory making that up? <laughs> yes, that, that's right, Ambilight, and you can still buy Ambilight TVs uh, yeah. to, to this day. Uh, and actually, I'm one of the original inventors of the of the concept. Uh, and and Ambiex is actually a, a different uh, uh, sort of process that that you know di different part of the business that spun off from that. So that that was taken on by a different part of the. Uh, of Philips went off into their TV division and became Am Ambilight TVs. We felt that there was something a bit more uh, that could be done in terms of controlling and managing the, the lighting experience rather than just detecting what was on the screen and reproducing it. We, we wanted to take it that little bit further. So, uh, yeah, we, 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 went, we went off on our own track. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of that as, a, uh, yeah. as an idea that led to something quite, quite interesting out there. Yeah, that's very cool. That's that's very cool. So, the ne next question is: uh, How exactly does lighting impact comfort in the built environment? This, this is a big question, but you're probably better placed to answer than, than than most. Yeah. Well, it, well, again, back in those days, I, I think we didn't really understand just how important it was. I think light, lighting been pretty much taken for granted for for many many years. And I, I mean, coming out of Philips, who you know, inventors of the light bulb. I mean, the last last hundred years, people have pretty much seen lighting as as a way of, of lighting up dark buildings, so you can see what you're you're doing. Um, and it was, you know, and, and around that time, people were starting to realise that, you know, that there were, you know, seasonal, you know, effect disorder and so on, where, you know, if you didn't have enough light, people were feeling pretty unhealthy and so on, but not really understanding quite why. But, the, the, yeah, the science advanced really quickly over recent years. And now we really actually understand just how important lighting is, not just to what are you doing, but actually how well you are and how well you you live and sleep and uh, and so on because it actually affects your physiology. We we evolved under sunlight. Uh, you know our entire body cycle is, as it turns out, managed and manipulated by the light we're exposed to. 
and then a few hundred years ago we started living in, in dark buildings uh, and actually affecting our very health and well-being by restricting our you know natural body, body rhythms based on on lighting and then we got even more you know uh, sort of difficult on that because we started to mess with the lighting patterns even further by creating our own artificial light and so the fact that we now understand just how important that is to our physiology as well as our ability to 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 act and do do things uh means that you know we we really should pay a lot more attention to it and i think that's you know within the built environment we can really you know we're just at the start of, of finding out how light can really improve you know the way the way we live and you know our own you know personal you know health uh you know it can we can work with those body cycles and i think we can even enhance what we do so so in the same way we use light to sort of extend our day and you know we don't all have to go to bed just because it gets dark we can get on with things we can also use light to actually improve the way we way we feel and the way we we act and and you know and, and certainly some medical conditions and so on are very much affected by our you know our body cycles and our ability and we can use light light to support that yeah i think i seem to remember reading a paper a few years ago about how using lights that can mimic circadian rhythm for people with dementia can significantly improve their memory retention because that's part of you know, that breaking of the cycle that has been linked yeah. and related maybe not causation yet but no, I, I, well, absolutely. I, I think more, more and more is being found, you know, every day about, yeah. uh, you know, what what you can, what you know, what we can do with light. Um, some of it comes through the eye. Uh, you know, the, the ganglion cells found in the the eye, very recently, uh, you know, are actually sort of hardwired into this body clock. But it, it's not just in your eye; it's through your skin and through through you know your whole whole body. So. You know, it is a, it's, you know, there's a lot going on and a lot of, you know, different cycles and different elements of, 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 of how your body works is essentially linked to the 24 hour, hour cycle of the, of the earth turning. Uh, and, and we mess with it in lots of ways because we get jump on airplanes now and things, maybe not so much recently, but in, in general and have to deal with things like jet lag. And again, light can be used to help, you know, mitigate for those those effects because your body does naturally adjust to the new new time zones and so on but actually you can help that with with better lighting and a better understanding of how how that works and you mentioned dementia we do a lot of work in care homes uh, and we provide what we call circadian supportive lighting into those spaces we make sure that the, the, the certain wavelengths in the blue uh, area are managed during the course of the day both to activate people in the morning uh, and actually bring their body clocks up to up to speed, as it were, but also later in the day not to disrupt the pattern of actually preparing to sleep and so on. And and, and, it, and you mentioned patients with uh, uh, and residents in care homes with with dementia. It's very important for them because they can't manage their own uh, body cycle. They they don't self manage. They don't know necessarily when to eat, when to sleep, and so on. And in and those environments are very unnatural. Uh, you know, if, if you spend many hours isolated away from natural light, body cycles do just go completely out of sync. And and one of the big problems in care homes is uh, that, that a lot of the residents 
have are, are up in the middle of the night. They often snooze during the day and then wake during the, the night. Uh, and that can be very hard work for, for staff, other residents, and of course, their own well-being. And what we've seen with the, the, the care homes we put our circadian supported lighting in is that essentially you, you solve this kind of sundowning problem uh, and, and that you can bring residents all into the same cycles uh, and so on. And so nighttime is nighttime and people are sleeping and, and patterns are less disrupted and staff can, can go about a much more structured structured day and and, and you know and, and people can have meals at the same time and so on. It, it, it's very very effective. Uh, and, and you know, and, and only the last few years we've really understood the importance of this. It, it's coming out. There is. It, it's, it's the last question. I'm going to throw up the list because we can. The there's a standard call coming out. It was a PAS called P uh, PAS three zero zero three, but it's now going to become a British standard called BS four zero one zero two, and that is the requirement to monitor indoor environmental quality so not just air which everyone's talking about but it is environmental quality so light and noise pay a big part in that and the light part is not just lux but it's flicker as well so are you aware of that standard that's coming that's coming out yeah i i mean it's great that there are a whole bunch of kind of new new standards and uh and you know structures looking at kind of well-being and i you know, I mean, okay, it's a relatively new technology, but it is really important to understand, you know, relatively new understanding, but it is really, really important that this, you know, is taken seriously. And often standards are a very good way of making sure that, that things don't just get lost because they're costly or complicated and so on. Uh, and, you know, it, it really helps. So I think standards can be a little bit of a double-edged sword sometimes because, uh, they're often used as a, you know, a specification rather than just a, a minimum requirement. Uh, and, you know, there is no substitute for good design, well, you know, well matched to what you, you know, a real world problem and a real world situation. Uh, and, you know, standards can sometimes be a bit of a compromise. But, uh, but I think having standards is better than nothing at all. And, and you know, you often see that. Uh, you know, that things just don't happen until there's some standardization and uh, structures of things. Yeah, it's the, what, what I find interesting about the standards coming out, I'm fortunate enough to having had it already and, and read most of it, not all of it, but the, the lighting part is actually a really important part. It's not, not just the measurement of lux and flicker, but about task-orientated lighting. So people at desks, so just like the, the LEDs that Sam and I have above our head, sometimes aren't enough for people doing a task having an additional light on their desk and having a certain amount of lux at the desk level because not, not everyone has you know up-to-date lighting fortunately we do although i think else could always be better but if it's quite dark when you're doing task orientated work having that extra additional light on your desk number one they rate that quite highly in the standard but number two the way it helps people and the, the change of not mindset, of course, but the way they're feeling, it, it is actually can be quite dramatic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what you're saying, absolutely, you know, a key to this is that lighting needs to be appropriate to to the task and the situation, 
uh, and, and that works both ways. I mean, when you're trying to concentrate or you're trying to do something very detailed, you know, if you're a, if you're a heart surgeon, you need 2000 lux, not 500, you know, it, it, and if you're, if you're doing a task where you're trying to concentrate, it's very important. The, you know, the quality of the light, as you say, lack of flicker is important, but all, but actually variation in light can be important. And we, we do typically, you know, in office environments end up under a very sort of monochrome static light. And, and that is also something that's very hard to concentrate in. It's, you know, you know, you actually having variation and change can be important in light. Uh, and, and that can really help concentration, creativity, uh, etc. And, uh, and as is, as we were talking about earlier, you know, the color temperature, the circadian supportive element, you know, the time of day is very important. But but beyond that, you also get to the point, and this is very hard to capture in standards and so on, is, is your your age, your gender, your ethnicity, you know, your, you know, your background may mean that you have different lighting requirements, expectations, body cycles, etc. I mean, we, we tend to, you know, even in the circadian space, always reproduce a Western European view of the circadian cycle. Well, that's not actually how daylight changes at the equator or in Scandinavia or, or whatever. It, you know, and, and different people's ethnicity and where, where their physiology developed is affected, but, you know, may, may be different and therefore they actually will find that they need a different form of supportive lighting. So, so it can be a bit more complex than just uh, you know what can be captured in a, a standard, and I think you know it's it's very important that we start to to understand that and and provide more sophisticated solutions that can adapt and and, and work with with that. But uh, but yeah, you know. this could be very interesting for that. We've got Aussies, South Africans, people from Poland, people from West Indies, people from uh, South Africa. You know, I've already mentioned South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> everywhere like all over so our albums could be an interesting one to try and get that going we have like mini pockets everywhere uh, i know even within my set of friends i used to work in a lighting company so i had all sorts of, sort of trial lights in the house one of my friends used to uh when we were working from home he used to like light at like six thousand kelvin like basically like blue um yeah. it was ridiculous i'd go in i'd, like, I'd cause me pain <laughs> whereas that's what he liked. whereas i'd be like two thousand kelvin and i'm like way over on the warm side so even within you know <laughs> just uh i guess my group of friends then it's it's you know you get yeah. different personal preferences that you need to yeah get that you know the peak performance i suppose yeah and, and certainly in work, working environments and that's one of one of the things that an, an office environment needs to be lit differently to a care home yeah. or to your domestic environment and one of the problems of course we have at the moment is even if we do a good job in 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 an office People then go home and uh, and don't necessarily have the next stage of the lighting they need for their their body cycle for the day. So that there is always a danger that in a in an office we've maybe ramped up the blue a little bit to make people more productive and and concentrate a little bit better uh, during the day. What they really need then is to ramp down the blue in the in the evening in order to sort of recover back to the correct sleep cycles and and so on. And and if you go home and you've got you know. 6,000 Kelvin lights, uh, you know, in your living room, uh, you'll probably find that your, uh, you know, your sleep patterns get quite disrupted uh, and you'll find people struggling in the morning uh, to, to, to wake up however much blue light you fire out them. So. Yeah, one comment. 
on, on, on the lighting side, we've, we've talked about the built environment and actually retrofitting is always harder than designing new, but how does, how does lighting contribute to sustainability side of the built environment? Apart from going from, you know, tungsten or fluorescent to LEDs, but how else can it? Help? Yeah, well, well, clearly, I mean, you know, it's a hot, hot topic and, and probably sort of a couple of years ago, it was probably what everything that people were worrying about was how much energy can you save from light? I mean, light, lighting is a large energy consumer, you know, throughout the, throughout the planet. And so if we can do a better job of it, uh, you know, then, then we can certainly save energy. And as you mentioned, you know, just switching to LED as, you know, is a, is a big energy saving, but there's still quite a lot left on the, on the table after that. Uh, better lighting control, even at the sort of simplistic level that you get with, you know, sort of DALI systems and so on in, in recent years, you know, means that you can kind of turn the lights off when no one's in the room and do some daylight harvesting, you know, using natural light and not having the lights and the natural light on at the same time and things like that are, are steps in the right direction. But what you really need is, is, is far more sophisticated and granular control because even within a single room or a single working area not all the lights have to be on at the same level at the same time depending on who's where and what people are doing and so on but conversely you know the drive to be sustainable often leads to lights being dimmed down or pushed you know below a level where you can properly concentrate on a task or see what you're doing or they tend to go out more often, you know, the, the, you know, it's becoming less common, but the having to wave at the PIR in a room is like a sort of well-known phenomena, but it shouldn't be. Light should be a lot more, you know, with good sensors and good, good lighting. You should never, you should never be without enough light. But also, one of the things that really needs to be thought about is also darkness. So it's not, it's not only about lighting control; it's darkness control. Uh, and we can be better at that. The, the number of times we, we look at buildings and we just see them blazing away, you know, in the middle of the night and, and so on, you know, is, is, is ridiculous. But actually you can manage lower lighting levels and you can create more texture and you can take energy usage out. So there's a lot still to be, be done with better, you know, management of light. Um, I mean, coming back to the, the, the standards, one of, one of the current problems with standards is you, you kind of have standards there that say, well, you've got to have 500 lux at desk level, you know, in, in the whole of a, a, a space. And that's part yeah. of the reason why you end up with the sort of monochrome lighting level that achieves 500 lux at 100% lighting. And that's, that's what gets put in. But what you really want is lighting that's capable of doing 1,000 lux when needed, but is well engineered. So normally we'll be running lower than that and you know and will will turn itself off when not not needed uh, and you know in, in a sophisticated way uh, and you know that's possible to achieve now with with technologies like ours but it you know it's it's not the norm yet uh, and i think that's that's where we've got to get to so that brings up a good question that is here is it have you seen an increase in developer owners thinking more carefully about lighting and lighting design within their building? So, I mean, this is a bit, I'm a sparky by trade and electrical engineer, and, and lighting is actually, it's, it's, you can do a hell of a lot with lighting and you can make it very cool. 
have you seen a change in, in owners and architects and designers spending more time on lights rather than just the way they look like actually the light that's coming out yeah I, I definitely definitely um i mean obviously over my my whole journey with light we, we've very much gone from lighting being seen as functional plus maybe something for entertainment you know where where colored light was used and so on but you know, lighting control was pretty minimal in, in those stages outside of that kind of entertainment domain. But certainly more recently, the possibilities of lighting control and better lighting design are are well understood. Uh, and then uh, I think until recently, cost has tended to be the biggest factor in lighting design and, and has typically meant you've you've ended up with pretty simplistic and uh, and and uh, you know, monochrome lighting solutions uh, and because it's been perceived that good lighting design is expensive. But that's no longer really the case. It, you know, it, good lighting is possible without spending uh, a, a fortune uh, now. And and people are starting to understand that. We're definitely seeing a change in that, that sort of understanding. But the thing that's really been driving it very, very recently, of course, is around the around the pandemic, people have actually been moving away from the office to to home, you know, expecting a better sort of working environment. Of course, not necessarily getting it at home, but certainly to get them back into the office, they are now sort of asking the question, not just of lighting, but lighting is one of those things of, you know, is, is it really doing what it should be doing for me? And if, if it's about my well-being and my and the quality of the experience, people are having to put more attention to that. And we're we're definitely seeing that that happen now. That that those people who own real estate actually understand they have to make a really good quality uh, working environment, and lighting plays a plays a role in that. There are pioneers in that. A lot of a lot of the big corporates have understood it for a while and do do it. Uh, and you obviously see, you know, sort of high-end creative agencies and Google and people like that really valuing the quality of the, you know, the working experience, working space, uh, and like, and they definitely are looking for this. But we also see it in the big financial institutions and so on. They they understand people are more productive, more effective, more committed. You know, get lower churn in personnel. You get less sick days and so on if you provide better quality working environments and and that's more valuable actually than just saving some energy or saving some initial capital cost yeah but based on that are people whether they're owners developers are they coming to you more based on occupant comfort well-being or sustainability or is it all three or is it more one than the other i mean fr frankly we we see differing between many different uh, customers and it, it, it often depends on who the the main decision maker or stakeholder is but you know uh, and you know some sometimes the decisions are are driven more by the people who are installing the lights so they actually want it you know they like like ambx because it's simpler to commission uh, and deploy uh, and that would be the main driver but if the facility manager is an important part of the decision making then they're looking for something where they can you know they can manage adapt and adjust to the way the building's operating uh, and and see the data sometimes the building owners are much more interested in the data 
or we've, we've had projects where the it's HR that are actually driving the you know things, and they they they're interested in the productivity and the and the well-being. So, you know, it can be very different between one project and another. That you, you know, I, I think lighting projects and built, smart building projects have very complex sets of stakeholders, and you know, it, it's often one or the or the other. Um, I mean, when I was talking about the care homes, that's a completely different driver. I mean, what what matters there is actually, you know, to some extent, it's the well-being of the of the people in the care home, but that is also part of their business model. So they need to be able to provide, you know, a healthier, better environment. And the side effect of that is, you know, it, it improves the environment for the residents, both the individual who's got the better lighting, but also other residents who are less disrupted and staff who are able to work better uh, and so on. So it's a different different model there. And, and that very much, for instance, is based on the quality of the lighting, the, the, the you know, the, the, the circadian supportive lighting and so on. Um, and what we've seen in, in the care homes we've been doing is the quality of the lighting also leads to less falls. Uh, and that was a side effect almost, we, we didn't immediately, understand until we, we we did it but but actually if a care in, if it you know we reduce say the falls by about 80 percent in in one of the care homes we we do and that's has a huge impact on on both the residents and the and the staff uh, and it's something we're very proud of yeah that's 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 a great outcome yeah i would have thought lights would reduce falls that's yeah. that's very cool actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, so, lighting and the built environment. Where, where do you see where do you see it going next? Or are you guys being pulled in one direction? Uh, what what are you seeing from the from the built environment? We stick to kind of the people who are mostly listening to this. Uh, my, my my children probably like to put me in a care home sooner rather than later, but I'm not there at the moment. <laughs> the, the, we think about the built environment. Where do you, where where kind of where's MBX going? Where do you think lighting is going? Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it has been moving very quickly. And I, I personally, I think we're, I mean, essentially, I, I see it as, as a digital revolution. Uh, you know, it, it's happened in a lot of things. I, I see lighting as a media, not as a bunch of, of hardware that you put in the ceiling. But actually, lighting is, a, it, it is now a, a media, both a creative thing, but also just something that, that, that so sort of deeply, you know, in, interacts with our lives potentially both you know in the office in the domestic environment in sort of entertainment and public spaces and, and so on and i think increasingly that's that's how it's going to be be seen so actually the 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 design and the quality of the light itself that is delivered will become you know what is important much more than the than how it is delivered the physical infrastructure to deliver it and that that's that's where I see us going. I, I'm not sure that that's you know the next 18 months, but it, I think think that's the the, the vision and the uh, and, and the direction, and is starting to be what's important to to, to people. So, cool. Uh, my, my my daughter actually, so she's not a lighting expert like you or Sam, who comes from the lighting right of joining us, but she does have different color lights in her room to make her feel differently. It's quite interesting, and she bought them off her own back she just said dad i need this light and this light and this light so as well as the light she has in the ceiling which is a phillips hue uh from the the light shade and she picked a particular color light shade because of the the the, the, the 
shadow it would throw off. Then she has a desk lamp, and then she has some just LED strip lights on the wall that she can change colors of. Actually, it's more than I, you know, although I'm an electrician, I, I never thought about lighting. But the, from what my daughter was saying and now what you're saying, I'm actually really back into it, even just from this very short conversation. So it's, uh, it, it, it is changing quickly. And the fact that you, that lights have almost been commoditized now, right? Like, I think I read a stat uh, prior, like a few years ago before Philips became Signify. Philips were the global leader, but they still only had like single digit percentage of the market because of how many different companies there are. So in, in Europe, in the US, that is quite dominated by, uh, I can't remember the name, but there's one company that's got like 60%. But in Europe, it's like 8% is the biggest, yeah. I think, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, David. I'm probably well, two years yeah, it sounds reasonable. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, gonna let, I'm gonna let Sam read the quick fire questions. So I've been doing all the talking. So sure, we've got we, we what we do, David. We finish off with some quick fire questions that that the team give to us to to ask people. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're not. So all right, yeah, short answers. Yeah. <laughs> first one is, what was your first job? Sorry, my first job. Your first job? Yes. Yes. Uh, well, actually, I I I joined. Well, I. Apart from doing some washing up in a hotel in my uh, very early years, <laughs> uh, when I left university, I, I joined Phillips Research. So that, that was my first job, actually. 18 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and when or where do you feel you are most productive? Uh, well, I, I have to say I, I'm, a, I'm a creative problem solver. So uh, I really... I, I was well suited to that research kind of environment. So yeah. that's definitely where I was at my, probably my most productive and effective. Um, yeah, I think mean, that's, that's, that's kind of what's closest to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And normally we know, normally I'd say like other than where you are now, which is your favorite place you've worked in, but I think there's only other one of the rock. Yeah, unless I say my garden, that's the other one. Yeah. I, I, I very much enjoy spending time in my garden, being creative in a completely different way. Oh, well, that actually leads into the next one, which was going to be when you're not working, how do you spend your time? All right, well, that, that, that's <laughs> part of it. And the, the, my other big thing is badminton. So I, I play badminton pretty seriously. So, uh, yeah. Nice. I haven't played for many years, but we'll have to have a game. All right. Long, yeah. My uncle was the uh, badminton coach for um, Zambia like about 30 years ago. It's a very long story. We won't go into it now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and do you think that all buildings should be smart? Um, pretty much all. I mean, I, I guess there are, you know, there might be some exceptions, but yes, I, I think one, one way or another, everything from a car park to a you know, to a shop, etc., should be should be smart and should should know what's going on and be able to respond and react and be dynamic and reactive to to to. I mean, essentially, it should be about what what's going on in it. What pe yeah, so it should support the people within it, those who have worked there, those who are visiting, those who, who are managing the building. That's 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 what's important. It's not it's not actually about the building, you know, itself. It should be about the people using it and what they're using it for and it'd be effective for them and, and sustainable. Well, I'm sure that buildings now are surely much smarter than they were thirty years ago. And so hopefully in another thirty years they'll be we'll look back at how we have buildings now and think, geez. That seems a bit stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, I have to say, I, I think even in ten years, that no one will will believe 
the sort of lighting that we put up with now. I mean, it's all, it's already the case. We look back at those flickery fluorescents and think, you know, that, that was terrible. But actually, given that we now understand why that was terrible and what damage it was doing to us actually through our physiology, that will not be acceptable. You know, the way we light our homes and things will have to change radically because, you know, you, <laughs> you'll sleep better, you'll live longer, uh, if you actually improve your lighting, and and we didn't really know that until a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and finally, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> well, that, that's that's a toughie. I mean, I I I actually really enjoyed my journey to to where I am now, and I, so I actually I wouldn't change anything. Uh, but you know, if I if I looked look back, you know, I've made plenty of, you know, with hindsight, there are plenty of false starts and false directions have gone in. So there's lots of advice I could give on how to how to do things better. But actually, you have to learn by by making you know, those mistakes and going there. So I actually I'm 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 one for uh, I've in, I've enjoyed the journey and I wouldn't really change it and you know having done that. So. <laughs> Yeah, good. I, I, I'm not sure how many people can say that, but, but from talking to you, I can imagine that is 100% the case. And I imagine after we finish, depending on how many people in the office and not in the office are watching this, we're going to have to do something about our lights sooner rather than later because they are just white lights. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Well, uh, talk to us. We might be able to do you. <laughs> we'll come to you, fix the lights, have a game of badminton. We expect Sam to be good as well because of his grandfather. But. <laughs> <laughs> across the world. Yeah. <laughs> cool david thank you very much for for joining us uh and, and for the time uh i know actually for me personally it's got me thinking a hell of a lot more about lighting than i had done previously although i've read bs part of the bs 40102 which was the lighting part to understand what they're doing it it, it is really interesting about the way it affects your body the way it affects you from morning noon and night and sleep patterns and everything else, it, it, it is big and there's a hell of a lot more behind it than I think most people listening and who will watch this actually realize. Cool, well, I'm glad I was more interesting than a standards document. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's taken me a long time to read that standard document. I do not read it if I'm tired because I, I don't get very far. Oh, well, well, that's another way of improving your sleep, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. David, th thank you very much, appreciate your time. Yeah, Thanks, David. Cool. Thank you, guys. Right. Thank you.